0: This is Our House by Art, Humanity & Action, a podcast where activists tell stories about the first time they realized they had to get involved and what happened next. I'm your host, Nicole Ferraro. I started to think I needed to get involved in a way that I hadn't before. It
1: ain't over. We have a lot, a lot of fighting to do.
0: I knew I had to be involved. I wanted to help. People call it a duty, like you have a duty to do certain things. You know, it started dawning dawn on me that I have to do something.
1: We were suddenly put into a car and told not to talk, not to move, not to say anything. And so at that moment, I thought that we were being kidnapped. They kept feeding us hot dogs, and I don't eat really meat. So, like, I didn't really eat anything for a couple of days. We've never seen them before. We never saw them after we got to, I remember seeing a sign of Houston. And then they opened their car, and my parents were there. And uh, we didn't know that we were crossing the border.
0: This is Monica Sibri. When she was 16, she migrated with her two younger sisters from Ecuador to the United States on a trip that was set up by their parents. Monica's parents had told them that they would all be meeting on vacation in Costa Rica. But that's not what was happening. And when Monica learned that they wouldn't return home,
1: she was devastated. I was very, we need to go back. I can't stay here. We don't speak the language. I don't even know how is it that we're going to go to school. And so they... Basically, made that decision for us, and we couldn't say no.
0: Monica and her family moved up to Brooklyn, New York. She went to school every day, and she did learn the language. And in a couple of short years, she was applying for a fellowship in the New York City mayor's office.
1: The application process for the fellowship basically it started as if I was a citizen. There was nowhere in between where I was even aware that I needed to have a social security to work.
0: The mayor's office explained to Monica that she actually couldn't apply for this fellowship. This is when Monica starts to understand what it means to be undocumented. And it's also the beginning of a cycle that will repeat itself, of Monica encountering an obstacle, asking questions, and finding a way forward, not just for herself, but also for her community.
1: I'm leaving the place where just basically crying almost um, because my parents were waiting outside and trying to figure out what to tell them. And while I'm stepping out, I hear two Colombian girls talking about their job, and they're saying volunteer work. And I knew a little bit about what volunteer meant. You just do things for free, and I knew that my parents weren't going to be happy about it. But... Mm-hmm. I turned back and I said, what is this? And they were like, oh, you can get like metro car. I was like, oh, that's a payment. I can tell my parents that I am going to get paid metro MetroCard. And so I kind of stayed with them in line. And the administrators kind of saw me and they were like, what are you still doing here? And I was like, I want to do volunteer work. I remember repeating the word volunteer so many times because it was so hard to say it. Um, and they were like, sure. And then they put me in and I stayed there as a fellow, as a volunteer. Uh, The fellowship was only one year, but they let me stay for extra time. I remember a very disappointing yet very growing experience. I grew very upset because people that were in the program with me, some of them were lazy. The new group came in. They all get IDs to come into the building, and I have to go through the building every day through security every day. The students kept asking me, like, "Why don't you just get an ID? Why don't you just get an ID?" And I thought, I, was, oh, yeah, why don't I just get an ID? Why can't they just give me a pass? We are the 99%! We are the 99%! I was following a all what was happening in the Wall Street movement and their rallies and their protests and. And uh, someone from the office has said, come to rally over Facebook. And I started coming and I said, why would I waste my time? What actual concrete thing will come out of people protesting? And then he just kind of went off at me and telling me why it will make a difference, why it will change things, why what they're fighting is worth fighting for. And I ignored it, they didn't pay attention much, and then boom, in 2012 DACA comes forward. And it's out of the movement of young immigrants coming forward to the streets and to the offices of elected officials and saying, we're here, we're not going anywhere. And um, this was not our decision. You had to find a way to fix it and deporting all of us will not make sense because our roots are here. This guy who I work with suddenly gets his papers because um, he came before his age of 16. And I came three months after my 16th birthday. And so then I, I grow upset, and I'm like, well, who chose 16? Well, who said the 16 was the age for this? Who says that you're old enough at 16 to make decisions on your own? I couldn't. And my boss says, why don't we talk about it? And so she threw our story, and I came out publicly as undocumented through the New York Times to show how this kind of policies and special immigration policies could be so arbitrary. I wasn't sure even what it was I read a lot um, but at that point I wasn't so familiar with how big the newspaper from New York was I mean I'm talking about New York Times I was like oh it's New York I don't know six months before that I thought that New York was only New York City I didn't know there was upstate I didn't know there was Albany and so I didn't know it was a big deal And so people, I, I made a mistake of reading what the comments said. They were like, she shouldn't even be working there. It's, it's a government agency. Why are immigrants working in that office? I didn't see the positive side of it, not at all. So I just closed off. I didn't do, I got called in to do a couple of interviews. I didn't answer. I, if it wasn't for my soccer team, I think I, I should have searched for some kind of treatment because I, I was not prepared for the kind of backlash that I was getting. I started to then get involved more in the immigrant movement and realized that, oh, wait, so what happens when you come out? Like, Isn't this supposed to be like a great thing where you show your story? And so I took a step back and I said, let's do some research about what this means and what is it that we're doing to build a network of support because clearly I would have not survived had not been because I had somebody there. Because I had come forward, somebody for me, a fellowship, and said, hey, I saw your article in the New York Times, you should apply for this fellowship. I applied, got in, so it started to click to me. All of this is about people sharing stories, sharing resources. I have this idea. There are a lot of undocumented immigrants in the City University of New York. We could use this to build the network and then build on probably the other hundred of undocumented Marines that are in the CUNY system. And then I met all these other undocumented immigrants from the City University of New York.
0: Monica and her new community formed CUNY Dreamers and encouraged other undocumented immigrants to come forward and help change policy. And working together, they identified unfair tuition practices in the CUNY system that prevented undocumented immigrants from applying for financial aid and charged them out-of-state tuition even though they were New York residents. Monica used her contacts in student government to meet and confront the vice chancellor about this at an event. The answer he gave didn't add up. But Monica was undeterred.
1: Because I asked him the question, where does undocumented students come into the picture, especially when it comes to financial aid, why don't they get it? And he answers back and says that we do get it. I didn't find him, I really wanted to answer back and say, what are you talking about? Clearly people like you are creating problems in the university. But I wrote it down. I wrote down his name. I wrote down his title. I wrote down everything I needed to know about who this man was, and I could follow up after. I stepped out, and I, I think I, they already knew. The moment I stepped out, and the dean comes forward and says, hey, the, 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 the John Sapienza had to leave, but he wanted to apologize. He gave you the wrong information. Undocumented Americans do not get access to financial aid. So I emailed him appreciate you coming forward telling me you know what happened would you mind coming to our meeting and pretty much giving the same presentation you give to the students to our undocumented students he said yes he was running late I remember and so there were two big guys and I'm describing them like this now but I'll tell you who they are two big guys outside of our meeting, and I'm starting to get worried. I thought that maybe we we're weren't allowed to organize on campus. Maybe we we're weren't allowed to meet because we're undocumented. He shows up, they all come into the meeting, and I wanted them to hear it. And I mentioned the in-state case. That one of those big men uh, who was with him was actually the dean of student enrollment. And so he says, you tell me who's doing this and I'll fix it. I said, OK, I'll follow up. But the undocumented students that we work with uh, didn't want to come forward. They were still afraid. We couldn't really tell them or force them to come forward. So we created our first issue campaign. There was a group of five, basically, that went to almost every CUNY campus, and stood in front of the campuses and started giving out flyers and saying, we know that there are undocumented students here who are paying out a situation. The university said that they will give us our money back if Uh, we come forward. Can you come forward? Do you know anybody? Social media was key for us. We started to get messages about, hey, I'm being charged out of state tuition, or hey, I was charged out of state tuition for four years Well, I was like, CUNY, what can I do? Eventually, we found somebody that was ready to go for it. And this case was Freddie, who was about to quit school um, because he couldn't pay for school anymore. We took it we showed up to the university, we scheduled a meeting. I didn't know it was going to happen right then and then. This administrator took the meeting, we sat down, we presented the cases, we said here is somebody that actually it's going through right now, is about to quit school, he will not come back to school next semester, and we don't know what to do. He made some calls in front of us and he got a list of everybody that was paying out of state tuition. And so more than half a million dollars uh, were returned to the students in retroactive money as well. So not just for the semester, but also if you were paying for four years, you're getting that money for the four years that you were there. Because of what you all did. Because of what we did.
0: It's incredible.
1: (laughs) It is now 11.30 in the east. You hear that chime? We have a projection. It is a big one. It is the state of Florida. 29 electoral votes. They go to Donald Trump. Donald Trump has won the state of Florida. We're excited. We're ready. And then the elections come forward. The... Sort of like the leadership team, we're like completely destroyed. We don't even know what we're going to do, but we come together to the group and we're like, we got this. What's going to happen is we need to stay together more than before. This men launched his campaign clearly attacking the Latino and community, and we knew that we could use that to put our community at peace in a way to say, while you're at CUNY, while you're an undocumented student, here are the resources that you have, and here is where you can go if any Trump supporter comes to you. I was in classrooms where they were wearing their t-shirts, his hats, and openly talking about why I didn't belong there. And I went looking for classes with mostly Republican professors, so I knew that I was going to find myself in a space where a lot of Republicans. I knew I needed to. I mean, I'm not going to fight a system without knowing what they think about. If these people are going to make policies and say who I am and what I can do, then I'm going to make sure that the right people get elected into office. All of you are going to be crying because Trump is, you know, saying these things. Great, cry, because it's sad. We, We should cry. We should show our feelings. There's nothing wrong with it. But use it to move you forward. And so for me, it was, here it is. There was already a congressional candidate at that point who was formerly undocumented. He knows what it is like to be there. So his name is Congressman Adriano Espaillat, who now, when we go to D.C., I can take this really new group of undocumented immigrants and say, right here. cry, right, do whatever you need to do to get yourself together and then see what you could do. And this is not just with, with politics or And the political spaces also, where doctors, where lawyers, where nurses, where architects, there is a space for you to do it. And if there isn't, then build a space.
0: Monica continues to build spaces, both for immigrants and for young women in politics. In a moment, we'll talk more with Monica about her advocacy work with Ignite and ways that you can get involved.
1: This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.
0: Monica, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story. How has your advocacy changed over the course of the last
1: year? Well, Nicole, thank you for having me here. And I... My work has really changed a lot. I started from learning first, getting myself aware of what's going on and gaining knowledge to um, taking it to the streets too. I mean, I've been in hunger strikes. I have been doing protests, rallies. um, And that all of it took me into realizing that at the end of the day, those that are in office are the ones that are making the decisions for us. And it is my job, my duty to ensure that if I know someone it's better to be there to represent us, I will make sure that that person's there. And so uh, it has really transformed into training and finding candidates that will represent my community and supporting them.
0: Can you tell me a little, what, a little bit about what Ignite is?
1: After I finished my first political campaign, I realized that I had something that a lot of young women don't have, and that's resources that are connected to knowing what is it like to run a campaign and what is it like to be in a campaign. And as undocumented Latina young women of color being in a campaign, it's about you all spending money more than gaining money, and so I took those resources to join this movement at Ignite, which is training young women throughout the US to uh, own their fair share of political power. That means either running for student government, being in commissions, community boards, uh, and in New York, when we brought it here in 2016, was to really engage them to just know what is it like to be in a campaign. Um, Uh, suddenly as soon as we got them together in a room, we realized that it was about community boards and commissions and getting them at the table. So currently right now, our work in New York in particular is to get them appointed to community boards and commissions, which is the group that's making the decisions in their own communities at the local level. And then across... the country, my goal is to get more young women involved in those midterm elections. And so through Ignite, what we're doing is really calling young women to declare their ambition uh, by supporting somebody else who's running for office right now. Uh, we don't support a specific candidates. We don't endorse. Uh, we just want young women to get involved in those campaigns that they really care about.
0: That's that's fantastic. Have you had success? Can you talk about Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you talk about that?
1: Um, so I just met Yes. Oh, my God. I want to cry now. <laughs> I met yesterday with one of the first young women that got appointed to the community board, community board number five in the Bronx, Suzanne Markland. Uh, she was really about, I hate the system. They don't care about me. They don't do anything about me. And said, how do I... how do I help? How do I make a difference? And so she got appointed to the community board by attending her meetings. Uh, We walk her through the process. Uh, We learn who was in the community. We prepare her for interview. And now she's actually making decisions about housing and about what's going to happen with development in her community. That's amazing.
0: What does it feel like for you to have a hand in this kind of work and to see that actual change and to see people make actual progress because of stuff that you've learned and then passed on?
1: Am I allowed to say just crying? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I mean, it's just, again, I grew up in a family that's, we value education, we value giving back, but when you are in circumstances of survival, not knowing what could happen tomorrow, it really has helped me see that when this young woman come complaining about that their fit, the dresses don't fit anymore, or that there feel like the system hates them um it's so easy for me to say well get it together because this is what I went through and I'm sure you can do it too because this is not about you dying tomorrow this is about you just going through you know something that may not be uh unco- maybe uncomfortable for you but this is how you can make a difference so for me it's more about like oh my god you have so much power Do you not seeing so much potential this is something that I learned later on in life and it's that our stories are actually the biggest things that we had to make a difference that I didn't know how to value, that I didn't know could make a difference. That now it's really opening doors and giving me that opportunity to create change in many places.
0: Monica, people are obviously inspired by your story and blown away by you. What is one step that you want people to take if they're ready to get involved?
1: So, for the midterm elections, vote twice, vote twice, vote twice. That means go out there and get somebody to vote with you. You really need to start spreading the word that this is not just about one person, but everybody in your community. And so if you're not an organizer, if you're not somebody that has the money to go and mobilize a community, take a friend with you. And if you don't have a friend, make a friend. There are lots of Starbucks. There are a lot of open places where you can make friends. And then for the immigrant community, this is just The same thing that we've been fighting for such a long time, that now we can make a difference too by bringing those voters along. We also can make a difference. And it doesn't mean that because we're undocumented, we don't have citizen friends that could come forward and vote for us, especially those that live in mixed status families. We know we have people in our household that could vote.
0: Okay, Monica, thank you so much for being here on the podcast and for being in the world. You are one of the most incredible people I've ever met. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Since we recorded our interview with Monica, people across the United States have been rising up to protest the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy and the forcible separation of children from their families at the border. If you want to help make sure that we don't reelect lawmakers who endorse these inhumane policies, one thing that you can do is find someone running for Congress who cares about immigrants' rights and volunteer for their campaign. And if you can't volunteer, donate, just get involved. Thank you so much again to Monica for sharing your story and for being on the podcast with us. You can find more information on Ignite in the show notes. This podcast comes from Art Humanity and Action, and it is produced and edited by Jeff Rose. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.